Good morning and happy Mum's Day to all of the beautiful mums out there. You know, when I was preparing this message, I wondered what was the best gift I could give to mums today. Uh, maybe you're a flower person or chocolates or do you prefer a voucher to your favourite shop? Maybe just a sleep in or uh, my favourite, having a meal cooked for you. Well, I decided that uh, my gift to you is that I'm going to tell your kids off so you don't have to. I've got stuff I want to embed in their thinking to help them straighten up and fly right. Well, I'm sort of, I'm joking. But we are starting on a series about character today, godly character. And isn't that just what we all want for our kids? So maybe if you've got kids and they're not sitting watching you, maybe you can pause this and go and get them and sit down and say, Pastor Marcy wants to tell you some stuff this morning. But you know, it's not just for the kids. Maybe, just maybe along the way, us adults might learn a thing or two as well, because God has certainly not finished with any of us yet. Just because we are now responsible for the refining of the next generation. No pressure, but wow. I don't know about you, but I still feel like a kid desperately trying to figure life out. And I've got to set my kids up for success and now my <clears throat> help set my grandchildren up as well. How do we set ourselves up for success? Now, Jordan Peterson, uh, he's a Canadian author, wrote a worldwide bestseller called The 12 Rules for Life. And one of them was directed at parents. And he basically said, don't allow your kids to behave in ways that stop people liking them, that give them a reputation for being annoying or selfish or untrustworthy. Now, this is wisdom that comes right from the Bible. And that's what we're going to unpack over the next few weeks. I'm going to give you one short statement that if your kids absorb its wisdom, and if we absorb its wisdom, we'll be heading in the direction of godly kingdom character. I know those of us who are older can certainly learn a thing or two as well. So let me show you this, this picture. I'm sure you're all familiar with it. It's one of the most famous artworks in the world. It's a statue of the character David from the Old Testament and it was sculpted by Michelangelo in 1504 and it now stands in the gallery of the Academy of Florence in Italy. It's a major tourist attraction. I'm sure many of you have seen it. It attracts millions of tourists every year and it's considered the absolute pinnacle of perfection in, in the sculpture of the human body. Now it's been standing there for, what, nearly 500 years. But here is a shocking fact. There are cracks in David's ankles. In almost immeasurable ways, those fractures are slowly, slowly growing, working their way up his legs. And marble is not as strong as you might think it is. One day, David will fall. He will collapse under his own weight because of his own flaws. 
And when he falls, due to the nature of marble, he won't just sort of collapse, he will explode. The statue of David is lacking in integrity. And that's, that is the word I want to talk about. There are two related meanings to this word. The first meaning is this. Integrity is a state of being whole and undivided. It's like if a bridge is hit by a ship, the engineers have to check its integrity. In other words, will it hold together if it's put under pressure? The second meaning of integrity is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. Now, this meaning is about our character, but it fits so well with the first meaning. Are we whole and undivided in our character, or do we say one thing and then do another? When this statue of David falls, it will not just be the masterpiece that suffers. Can you even imagine being there when it happened? If there were people in the gallery, they could be injured or even killed. It's five and a half metres tall or in the old scale, 17 feet. Obviously, the marble floor that it fell onto in the gallery would be totally destroyed. The museum would probably close because this is its main attraction. There would be massive implications for the economy of the town of Florence. Many businesses would shut. And it could lead on to affect the whole economy of Italy as the tourist industry would be severely affected. When one object lacking in integrity falls, the repercussions are far-reaching. This applies in the physical and it especially applies in the relational world. Recently, we have been confronted with the failure of human beings to uphold their integrity. There have been high-profile church leaders, leaders that we have respected and looked up to, who have had cracks in their legs that have eventually led to a massive explosion that has damaged not only their own reputations, but the reputation of the church, which is the Bride of Christ. We are all familiar with families where the story has been of a breakdown in integrity, where someone has decided not to fulfil the vows that were made as they entered a covenantal relationship, and the fallout is disastrous. Not only is a marriage broken, but so is the trust of children, the web of wider relationships, even the financial future of many people, and so on. We all know situations where lack of integ integrity has smashed lives irreparably. One thing that this church is passionate about is developing followers of Christ. That's disciples. And disciples are not just people who think that the church is a good place to hang out in. Disciples are those who follow Jesus. And following Jesus is about obedience. He said in the book of John, if you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. You can't say that you love Jesus and then try and make up your own rules about doing life. And why would you want to? He is the master designer and knows the best way for us to thrive in life. 
To obey Jesus is to deliberately seek to grow your character and actions into the likeness of Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. Let me be clear. Every one of us has cracks in our ankles. But what can we do to make sure that we don't fall? So I want to talk about one of the commands of Jesus in this next series. And this one is such a powerful life hack. It's one that I was taught as a child, and I find myself using it in my self-talk constantly. This is one phrase that you can sear into your souls as life wisdom. And here it is. Let your yes be yes. Mums, here is a gift for you today. You can put this on your fridge for your family to see every day. Let your yes be yes. Okay, that's good, Marcy, but what does it mean? Let's read some incredible wisdom from Jesus in his teaching in Matthew chapters seven, uh, 5 to 7, uh, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it was a distillation of Jesus' most important wisdom on how to live in the kingdom of God. And he says this, Again, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely and shall not perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is a city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now this this bit of scripture sounds a bit weird to us. But in Jesus' day, there was an elaborate system of vows that you could use to pretend that you were honest, but you were really giving yourself an out if you didn't want to keep the promise. It was a bit like when you were a kid and you promised someone you'd do something, but if you had your fingers crossed behind your back, you didn't have to keep the promise. And then you had to say, pinky swear, and that one you couldn't break. And if you did, a bear would eat you. As an adult in a court of law, it's not good enough for you to swear that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You have to have a Bible placed under your hand. It's the adult version of pinky swear. Jesus is actually having a go at people who lack integrity, who don't do the right thing who say one thing and do another. To have to strengthen your promise with a vow, like a pinky swear vow, means that something is wrong. You're not being a person of integrity. Jesus is saying, just let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Will you pay back the money you borrowed? Yes, and you do it. Will you be there at five to pick me up? Yes, and you are there at five. Will you come to my party? Yes, and you turn up, even though you got another invite to a party that had all the cooler people there. Will you put the needs of your spouse 
before your own. Yes, and you do it. Will you steer clear of sites on the internet that compromise your soul? Yes, and you do it. For disciples of Christ, will you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Yes, and you do it. Will you allow work pressures to erode the time that you have promised to your family? No, and you don't do it. Now, what I'm saying is when you say yes, you mean it. And when you say no, you mean it. You stick to what you say you will and won't do. No pinky swear, no swearing on the Bible. So here's another meaning of integrity. The resolve and the courage to do the right and noble thing, even if it costs you. So my gift to mums here today, if you're here with your kids, is to give them a new phrase to remember. Let your yes be yes. This character quality will take you far in life and, and, and could get you into difficult places. It can be costly to do what you believe you ought to do. But this is how we obey Jesus and become more like him. But we're going to go into that more in future weeks. As a leadership team at Gateway, we have experienced this in the pandemic. We had to decide what was the right thing to do as far as the vaccine mandates were concerned. Some of you disagree with us. Some decided that this was no longer the family that they wanted to be part of. And this has been incredibly painful for all. We were just at our A2A conference in Queensland, the movement that we're part of, and we've talked to pastors from all over this wide brown land, and they have all struggled with exactly the same issues. But we could only listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our own souls and consciences and move in that direction. Any other plan would have lacked integrity. We would not have been whole and undivided. We would not have been true to ourselves. There would have been cracks in our ankles. Whether you agree with our decisions or not, you can be assured that the leadership of this church acted with integrity as we did what we felt we ought to do. And integrity can be painful. Let's just talk for a minute about this phrase, ought to. Because this is one of the big reasons that we can argue for the existence of God. Deep down, we all have an ought to, an expectation that people should do the right thing by us, even when we are not totally honest. We can look for loopholes in a situation, but we get our knickers in a knot when that is directed back at us. You don't agree? Well, how about this one? It's tax time. We all look for every possible tweak or fudge we can make to get out of paying tax. But if the tax department came back at us with incorrect figures, we would be up in arms. Well, I know I would be. We can waste time at work, you know, goof off on the boss's time, bit of online shopping, bit of Facebooking. But if our salary statement was down a bit, watch out. 
You talk to the guy who is totally devastated, angry, offended that his girlfriend had left him for another guy. Check his history. He left his wife for this girl in the first place. We have a deep down ought to. You ought to keep your word. You ought to follow through on what you said you would do. You ought to tell the truth. My question is, who says? Where does that sense of ought to come from? The story of God as it is recorded in the books of the Bible tell us about our world that was created, not accidentally formed, but created by a God who just painted it with his character. And that character is love, truth, compassion, service to others, integrity. Imagine you caught someone lying to you and you confronted them. You lied to me. You would expect them to either de deny it or explain it. But if they said, yeah, I lied, so what? I can do whatever I want. And you'd say, but, but lying is wrong. You can't go around saying one thing and doing another. And they'd say, why not? You can't hold me accountable to some sort of ethics that you just made up. Integrity? Justice? Care for others? Why? Who said? Now that person would probably be classed as a sociopath and it would jar anyone whether you believe in God or not. That's because there is a general sense of ought to that stands outside of you and over you that didn't originate with you and you can't escape it. Now that's a classic Andy Stanley statement. I'm going to say it again. There is a general sense of ought to that stands outside of you and over you and it didn't originate with you and you can't escape it. Here is the way that the Apostle Paul explains it when he was asked about the people who were not Jewish, who had not grown up learning God's laws. How could they know right from wrong if they didn't even go to Torah school like the Jewish kids? And he says this in Romans. But God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over truth. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What Paul is saying here is that God has implanted a sense of right and wrong in our very DNA. We might choose to ignore it with our actions. We can lie and cheat and not care about others, but we cannot ignore our reactions, how we feel when someone does this to us. We know it's not right. When we act against that inner voice, we lack integrity. The cracks start to move up from our ankles. And if we don't turn things around, our lives will fall and smash to pieces. And the repercussions can be horrendous. Our very consciences 
were created by the divine lawgiver. It's what makes us human. The moment we find ourselves wrestling with an ought to, we actually acknowledge the divine. When we do what's best for someone else and it costs us, that's being like your father in heaven. You are knowingly or unknowingly acknowledging God's rule. His kingdom is over you. So let's go on this journey together over the next few weeks as we tease out what it really means to be a person whose yes is yes. I can't get enough of God's wisdom for my life. I need it to be the person my husband, my kids, my grandkids and my community need me to be. How about you?